The church is what I've served. If we ever let people do that, it would be like uh, like herding cattle to get them back into the worship service. I, I commend you. Uh, I've visited with uh, Daryl and Howard many times over the last years. Uh, they're good friends of mine, and I've been praying for you and excited about uh, Aspen's growth and, uh, and, and development. Uh, I checked with them about preaching this text because I don't want them or you to get the idea that I'm helicoptering in from outside to tell you what I think you should be and do. Uh, I'm not doing that. I've talked with them. This is something that we together have been praying about as pastors for a long time, and I'm just sharing with you some of those things. I'm going to be reading this morning from the prophecy of Jeremiah. Now, for a little context, because not everybody understands some of the Old Testament books of the Bible, Jeremiah was a prophet who had a rough job. The, the children of Israel had been formed by God as the sons of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their daughters and their extended families. And from Genesis 12, we already know that God had a purpose for them. God said to Abraham, look, you're old. You and your wife can't have kids unless I allow that, and I'm going to give you children. In fact, I'm going to give you so many children that it's going to be like counting the grains of sand on a beach. You're going to be, you're going, your, your numbers are going to flourish. They're going to explode. And there's a purpose for it. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. I want you to understand that. I'm going to bless you so that through you, I will bless the nations. I'm not choosing you instead of the nations. You're not somehow special people that I love more than the nations. No, you're my vehicle to get the nations back to me after the grand rebellion of sin. Israel started out real well. David, though he was a flawed man, and then Solomon, and then it all went off the rails because Solomon fell in love with power and women and money, and nothing has changed since. So after 700, 800 years, God said, I'm done with you. I'm going to remove you from the land and bring you to another land called Babylon in Assyria, and they will rule over you. And if, you, if you're interested in backstories, you might read the last chapter of Chronicles. It's the long story of the kings, and kings and chronicles tell the same story. And Chronicles ends with God's reason for removing his people from the land and bringing them into exile. You know what the reason is? I want the land to have rest from your sins. The land needs a break from you. 
You're corrupting everything you touch. And that's not what I made you to be. So the land is going to get a Sabbath because you're going to go into exile. Jeremiah was the prophet that God sent to those people to give them God's messages while they were in exile. How would you like that job? In all of his ministry life, there's not one evidence of a recorded conversion. He just kept delivering news. And we pick it up at chapter 29 this morning. I'm going to read eight verses. I'm going to focus especially on verses uh, four through seven. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officers, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elsa, the, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. You, you, you with me so far? All the good young people, all the leaders of their class, you know, the valedictorians, the salutatorians, the promising students, all the really good craftsmen, all the really good government officials, all the leaders were the first he took. Among them were some people that you may have remembered from another book in the Bible, Daniel. Right? Daniel and his three friends, they were among the, the prime ones, scraped off the land, taken into exile. The rest trickled behind. And the exile was, was brutal. So now we pick it up. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare. Pause. The word welfare in almost all modern translations is originally the word shalom. I'm going to explain that during the course of the message, but I want you to put that placeholder in. Seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its shalom you will find your shalom. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. So, what are we doing? Are we going back in a time bubble 
from 2100 years after Christ to about 600 years before Christ. By my calculation, that's about 2700 years. Are we going back? And suddenly I'm saying to you, you are there, you're exiles in Babylon. No, I'm not. So what am I doing with Jeremiah? Well, I'm, am I just distilling life lessons for you? No, I'm not. No, instead, I'm going to take you forward, and I'll just read you this one verse from 1 Peter that addresses you and me and everybody else in the New Testament era and beyond. Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to all who are elect, chosen, elect exiles of the scattering. You know who that is. That's all of us. The church no longer is centered around a temple in Jerusalem, right? That's where the church first began to blossom. Peter's Pentecost sermon, he told them that if they turned their hearts to Jesus, they would become the continuation of the people of the Old Testament. They would be the people of God. And 3,000 accepted his message that day. And from Jerusalem, the home base, that church grew and it multiplied and it, and it multiplied exponentially. By the time you get to about chapter 6 and 7, it was probably 20,000 people in Jerusalem, all followers of Messiah, King Jesus. And then one of their leaders, a guy named Stephen, got dragged in front of the ruling council, the Sanhedrin. And he looked him in the eye and he said, has there ever been a prophet you guys didn't kill? You didn't like what Jeremiah had to say. You didn't like what Isaiah had to say. You didn't like what any of them had to say. You and your forefathers have killed every one of the prophets. So, of course, they killed him. And immediately, the church, that gathered group, got scattered like seeds on a wind. In fact, the word for dispersion, the scattering, literally means scattered like seeds on a wind. The church was no longer concentrated around a building. Now the temple was a scattered temple of the Holy Spirit. And that describes us, doesn't it? We here in this room come from a lot of different places. We are gathered in this place here by jobs, by family connections, by whatever. But God says, 1 Peter, you are the elect exiles of the scattering according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and you're chosen for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with His blood. That's you. So it's, I'm not making a stretch here when I read Jeremiah and he writes a letter to the exiles because we are the exiles. We're the modern exiles, the people scattered in another place. I could, I'm not going to do that, but I could say to you, 
raise your hand if you feel at home in this world. I, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to expose you. Some of us do. We fit right in. We fit right into the world's values. We fit right into the world's priorities. We fit right into the world's ethics. And we come to church and we feel awkward. But it's supposed to be the other way around, isn't it? It's supposed to be that we don't fit into this world. John, John the Apostle writes to the church and says, Don't be of the world. This world and all of its values and all that stuff, it's passing away. You are the ones that are eternal because your values come from the king of heaven. You are a citizen of a different kingdom. So when you gather here, it's supposed to be like coming home. And when you're deployed out of here, you're being sent as exiles into a different world with a purpose. Okay? All right, now let's look back at Jeremiah. He says to these exiles, I want you to understand that you're exiles by my choice. By my choice. I sent you. Notice that in, in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I sent you there. 1 Peter 1 I sent you there. I put you into a scattered position in the world. Remember where we started in Genesis 12. I did that because my goal, though I love you with all my heart, my goal is the nations, the ones who don't know you, and you're the vehicle to embrace them and draw them back to me. Okay, so there's, the, there's the, the elect notion. Election in the Bible is always a theme that is connected with purpose. You're elect so that. And that's what he's talking about here. I sent you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, what's, what's the job? What's the purpose? Well, it's interesting to read how he phrases it. Listen. Verse 5, I want you to build houses and live in them. I want you to plant gardens and eat their produce. Think about this. If, if you're, if you're a, a Jew from Jerusalem, you're always looking back to where you came from. You're always leaning, oh, I, I want to go back. There's even a psalm that sings, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down, and there we wept when we remembered Zion. I heard that in a contemporary movie the other day, and it wasn't a Christian movie. I don't know why they're singing the Psalms, but good for them. Israel always leaned back. They were leaning back to where they had come from. That's what they wanted to be. It's kind of like it's kind of like our political environment today. There are some who are pushing to go forward and others who are clinging to what was. And he says to them, now I'll tell you what, build homes where you are. Plan to stay. 
Plant gardens. Don't just buy your produce from the market. Plant gardens. Be invested. And then he goes one step farther. He says, take wives and have sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Now you're talking three generations. Plan to be there for a while. Invest in family connections. Now, right away when I say that, uh, parents who are trying to keep their kids well and tell their kids you're not supposed to date and marry people who are not in Christ, this isn't a violation of that. Paul writes about that in Corinthians. He says, you are to marry only in the Lord, and that was true back then too. But here's the radical thing. You can marry in the Lord, but outside of Israel. Whoa. That was a change. Because when God brought them out of Egypt and brought them into the land, he said, don't you intermarry with the Canaanites. They worship idol gods. Don't you marry them. Well, the issue was the idolatry. Israel misunderstood. She thought the issue was bloodlines. It was not bloodlines. It was idolatry. You don't marry those who worship another god, period. That's not negotiable. But I don't care if you marry outside your bloodlines as long as you're marrying in the Lord. And when you go to Babylon and you think you're only going to be here for a minute and your real hope is to go back home, cut it out. I put you there. You stayed. And most Israel stayed there for a long time. Even when some came back to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple, that was not by far the majority. The majority stayed scattered by God's design. Kind of like you. You don't all live in Indian land. Some of you live in the cities and towns from around here. Some of you drive a little bit of distance to get here. Many of you come from places far away, and many of you don't even necessarily plan to stay here long term. You may be here for a season, and you found this church, and in this church you're going to find a blessing, but who knows where you're going to be. Okay, make plans based on this understanding. Wherever you are, you're there by God's design. You are to bloom where you are planted. If that's here, if that's in this church, bloom where you're planted here. If, you, if God has you moved around, bloom where you're planted there. When Paul was on Mars Hill in Athens, he gave that glorious speech in Acts chapter 17, and he said about God, let me tell you about this God that you call the God, the unknown God. Let me tell you about him. He, he is the one who determines the times and the places where people live. That's who you are. That's who you serve. He's the God who gives purpose to you, even if you are mobile. Well, what's the job? Well, seek the shalom of the city where you dwell. 
I commented on that when I read it, and I read welfare, and it's a good word, it's, it's a good translation, but it doesn't give all the nuances of the Old Testament biblical idea of shalom. The idea of shalom comes from the beginning of the Bible, where Adam and Eve are living face to face with God. We often, we often take uh, heaven and earth and we rip them apart like two pieces of paper, and we say heaven is down here, I mean uh, earth is down here, and heaven is up there somewhere, and after we die, we get a transfer from this piece of paper to that piece of paper. It's a different planet or whatever. That's not how God describes it. God describes earth this way. In the beginning, God created earth. No, that's wrong. I missed one. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. One cosmos, two parts, heaven and earth. Heaven, as it's described in Genesis 1-1, was created. Angels were placed there. They had a task to glorify God face to face. But earth was placed right next to it as, as two dimensions side by side, almost like the other half of this gymnasium is just on the other side of a veil. You can see part of it. You can reach through. God did. God came and walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day, and they talked. And after they sinned, God came onto earth, and he walked, and he said, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I disobeyed. Heaven and earth were meant to be together. And when they were together... And when God and Adam and Eve walked and talked together, when life, was, when life was whole and healthy, when relationships vertically and horizontally, when Adam and Eve's care of the earth was correct according to God's design, when everything was just the way it was supposed to be, there was a word for that. It was shalom. They translated it welfare. We would translate it today peace. But it's not just the absence of war. It's the presence of life as it is supposed to be. Where sin doesn't break this relationship. Where sin doesn't distort these relationships. Husband and wife, parents and kids, workers and co-workers, neighbors that don't like each other. You know what it's like. You know what it's like to live in a world where horizontal relationships are broken by sin. And you know what it's like to live in a world where vertical relationships with God are broken by guilt and shame. And I think we need to know that our relationship with the creation all that God has entrusted to us, whether it's the land or the animals or the air or the water or the technologies or the knowledge, all that God has entrusted to us, we're supposed to be handling it like he's standing right next to us looking over our shoulder and saying to us, ah, yeah, 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 good, good. 
It's easy to think of that if you think in terms of, oh, let's say art. Adam and Eve found certain pigments in the soil, and they blended them with what? I don't know, fat, oil. I don't know. They, and then they, then they put them on, they put them on a piece of papyrus or, a, or the inside of bark, or they painted them on a rock, and they said, oh, look at those colors. They just jump off the rock. Or can you imagine their grandchildren, Tubalcane or Jubalcane, who discover things like Jubalcane discovered musical instruments. He, he, he heard a sound, and he found that if you stretched gut between two posts, you could replicate the sound, and if you put your finger on it, you could change the sound. And he, he discovered music. And he made musical instruments because he found that his voice could play with the same notes and they could sing. That was God's design. God designed all of those dimensions of creation for us to use and create like God had created. And we were supposed to do that in such a way that it would echo for his praise. And people would say, oh, what a world our God has made. Let us rejoice in it and in him. <sighs> but you can take sounds and make them the sounds of war. And you can take art and make it pornography. And you can take the beautiful and use it for ugliness. And that's what sin does. And when you do that, you take away the shalom. And you replace shalom with evil. Now God wants us to flip the script. I've scattered you in the world. And I want you to live your life in such a way that it becomes evident that what you do at work, how you live in relationships, how you gather to worship, how you use the resources of creation, you're doing it so that God will smile. And when you live that way, you will be tastes of shalom. And the people around you will say, what is it about you people? And you will smile, and you will say, what a world our God has given us. What grace he's given us to change us from what we used to be to people who live for him. Wow! And they may not understand it right away. That's why you ought to plan to stick around for a while. Because your conversations with neighbors and friends might take generations to, to flourish and reproduce and have children. But those conversations will be seeds of gospel shalom. You and I all know that... a church that gets started struggles with things like survival. <laughs> are we going to have enough money to pay the bills? Are we going to have, have enough people? Are, are we going to have enough musicians? Well, you're blessed by that. 
until they decide to move somewhere else, and then you have to bring in some bozo like me to thump on a drum, and that's not going to go well. Are we going to have... No, 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 no. I don't want you to think just survival. I want you, and this passage wants you to think purpose. God's put you here. Every one of you who's part of this church, and those of you who are visiting and are not yet part of this church, I want you to think about this, our purpose. I want you to think about your purpose for being in this community of faith, hearing the Word of God from this, from this place, worshiping with these people, growing in the Word of God as it's opened up to make you flourish. I want you to think of this purpose. We're here by God's design to live shalom in a world that doesn't know what it looks like. You can walk up to anybody on the street and say, Hi, I'm here to bring you shalom. And they're going to look at you and say, Go away. I don't want to talk to you. But if you live your life on display for the splendor of the king, and the people you work with, or the people you live next door to, or the people you work out with. I'm, I'm constantly in a conversation with a guy at another YMCA who's a, an older, bitter, ex-legal guy. And while I'm trying to get exercise, he keeps, interrupt, up, keeps interrupting me with questions about my faith, and about the Bible, and about about Jesus and about guilt and and I sometimes have to put down the machine and talk to him and it's it's cool because he's growing he's growing little bit by little bit because he's a skeptic he's not going to go from unbelief to faith overnight he's going to go from unbelief to maybe there is a God who'd have thought maybe there is a right and wrong Maybe right and wrong is not just a transaction I could use for my own benefit. Maybe there is a standard by which I live life. Little, little, but, but those are many, 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 many decisions. Until finally he stands before a God and before the people of God, looking at the world of God, and he says, and this is my prayer for him, ah, what a delight to live before the face of God. That's why we are here. That's why you are here. That's why you have been entrusted with faith as a precious possession to share with the nations. Please know that Carol and I, my wife, will be praying for you. We will continue to have our fingers in the conversation with Daryl and, and, uh, and, and Howard and, and others of you. We, we are praying that you will be agents of shalom, agents of flourishing, to make others flourish too, to see the splendor of the king. Let's pray. Father, what a joy to see what life could be and what life should be in your glory. Help us live that way.
Wake us up tomorrow morning with a new sense of purpose. Make us have friendships with a sense of purpose. Make us have relationships in our neighborhoods and in the YMCA and at work and in our families and in our marriages that are purposeful so that you are blessed, so that our nation's nation is blessed, so that our neighbors are blessed, and so that all of us taste the beauty of shalom, life as it should be in Jesus Christ. Amen.